This is the Doctor Who podcast, and you are most welcome. In this episode of the Doctor Who podcast, we get to talk about Stephen Moffat's unanswered questions, or loose ends. Yes, hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Doctor Who podcast. I'm joined this week by a very special guest. Stephen Prescott from Madman with a Box podcast has pulled up a chair in the caravan once again. Hello Stephen, welcome back. Hello James, thank you very much. It's been extremely difficult to keep you away from the camper van, hasn't it? <laughs> well, you, you haven't seen the little setup I have underneath. There's like... Ah. You know. Right, I'll tell you, this camper van has got more rooms than I ever imagined. The amount of secret rooms and people we keep finding. Oh, it's quite stunning, really, quite stunning. But uh, but yes, Stephen, you run your own podcast. You generally bring on a different host every week and you talk to them about an episode of their choice. Have I just summed up your format accurately? Very accurately, that is exactly it. I don't know, you know, it's it's really, it's about uh, fans coming on and talking about why they love the show. And so um, it, most of the time it is an episode that they uh, that they really like. Uh, every once in a while we do an episode uh, that we both really hate, <laughs> which is always fun. You summed it up pretty succinctly. <laughs> I have to say, I, I think there are a number of podcasts out there that generally have a very positive outlook on who, and I think that's great. I mean, I, obviously people get into a show because they enjoy it generally, and I, I just wonder at what point, you know, you, you get so immersed within fandom that everything you say is kind of slightly critical. Does that make any kind of sense? I, I, I think it gets to a point now where I expect so much from a brand new Doctor Who episode, it, it's hard to enjoy it. In fact, when I turn a new episode on, you know, uh, when the season is transmitting, I actually am quite scared. I find watching Doctor Who quite a difficult experience because I'm terrified I'm not going to enjoy it. It's it's funny because um, we... Uh... When when Seven B was was airing, uh, I actually did uh, review episodes with uh, with my friend Ewan, and um, we found we found ourselves eating our own tails all the time. Where we start out talking about how much we love the episode, but then we do a whole all the way around and 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 start pointing out all the things that we found wrong with it, and and mm. you know all the things that made it bad. But we try and come around to the end of you know really enjoying it because in the end. Uh, I, I still do feel that any Doctor Who on television is better than no Doctor Who on television. So mm. No, I, I think it's context, isn't it? And I, it, it's very hard sometimes to lose that when you're hearing two fans talking about Doctor Who because generally it sounds as though they hate the show. And, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, if you consider the amount of... Um, times that trevor and i have sat behind microphones and 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 dwelt on all of the small little niggles of the story it sounds as though we really dislike them but uh but actually we love it (laughs) we absolutely love it it's just our way of celebrating the show and celebration is certainly something that's key to this year the 50th anniversary year i mean there are so many events here in the uk Stephen. i mean you should be very very jealous being based so many thousands of miles away (laughs) Uh, the, the british film institute events have been absolutely wonderful I'm very much looking forward to the next two, which I've managed to get tickets for. And in November, there's an event taking place that has made you get on a plane and fly for 11 hours to to London. 50th anniversary celebration, which I'm still amazed that I I even got a ticket for. Um, (laughs) So were you up at three o'clock in the morning trying to get tickets for that? I was, yep. Um, Started out at uh, one in the morning up until about three o'clock in the morning. And uh, uh, luckily, uh, again, my... Ewan, who I mentioned earlier, was able to get was able to get me a a ticket because the website would not even load on my computer. I actually was getting a four hundred four error, not oh, found. Even better, even yeah. better. I mean, it it has to be said that the BBC cannot put on a Doctor Who event without some major fail. 
look happening at least on two or three occasions because it simply wouldn't be Doctor Who if everything worked smoothly. And uh, servers crashed, I think, in on, on this side of the Atlantic as well. It was very difficult to buy tickets. It depended on what browser you happened to be using the priority booking code that they'd sent anyone who had subscribed to Classic DW online didn't work. <laughs> so Twitter that morning uh, here in the UK was uh, was was buzzing with um, criticism of the BBC's organisational skills and, and, and justifiably so, I had to say. I mean, I, I did get tickets and I know that you did as well, but my goodness, what a what a task that was. Not not as a nice, easy, stress-free start to the week. Well, there's there's a couple things. One is I don't I still I don't understand the ticket buying process online because no one can get it right. I mean, getting tickets for Comic-Con every year is like it's the most ridiculous thing and and I I always have to find uh alternative methods to actually get a ticket and uh even today um there is a, a Doctor Who event happening at Comic-Con offsite um put on by uh, the Nerd Machine, which is this run by um, an actor, Zachary Levi here. And, uh, and uh, basically it's a conversation with Doctor Who and it's it's Matt and Jenna and, and Moffat. And uh, there was only 250 tickets and they sold out before they were basically even available. <laughs> I mean, I refreshed the page at 11.59. They were going on sale at, at noon. I refreshed the page 11.59. It said available. I put two in my cart and they're like, they're all gone. Do you know what the most straightforward simple booking process for a doctor who event for me has has been have you any idea get on the phone and call well is that certainly but uh, when i've been forced to go through uh, the world wide web then nothing has been as straightforward as gallifrey it's just yeah. been so stress-free 10 minutes and it's booked and that's yeah. probably the best organized event not only in the way that you book and get ready for it but also when you're there as well and you think the bbc is an institution in this country it's not even just a company it's such a huge beast and it can't organize something like that and i mean this goes back to the beginning of our conversation steve and then doctor who fans can't seem to see the positive first and uh, i'm certainly <laughs> complaining but there there are some wonderful things going to be happening at the excel arena on the 23rd uh, 23rd of november it's happening on the 22nd and the 24th too uh, but I'll, I'll only on be the there 23rd. on the 22nd <laughs> uh, i'll be there on the 23rd so uh, it, it's going to be exciting um but is there anything there that you're particularly looking forward to probably the 11th hour panel i mean it, there's going to mm. be you know talks with 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 matt smith and things like that and it's always it's always entertaining to see matt smith on stage and it, again with the ticket frustration i'm frustrated that i didn't get saturday tickets because that's the day that <laughs> uh tom baker is going to be there he's only going to be there one tom day baker. it's the day i'm going to be there well th- there's that as well <laughs> yes so um but I, I think i think that and of course you know it's 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 a strange thing. It's a convention like no other where it's three days and three days of the same exact thing, mm-hmm. um, just different guests. So there's basically three shows that you see and, and um, you know, all three of them sound sound really interesting. Of course, the, you know, effects and then the uh, the 11th hour chat with the with the doctor. So, um, uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm just looking forward to being there. I'm looking forward to being there and being around fans and being yeah. in London yeah. at that time for the anniversary and you know, getting to actually watch uh, the anniversary special in London. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. No, it, it's certainly going to be an event. And um, I, I think my enjoyment of it might be slightly diluted by the fact that it's ostensibly exactly the same thing that they run in Cardiff 18 months ago. Yeah. And um, yeah, there's going to be different people. I think this is going to be bigger. But uh, it's now apparent that the official convention that they ran March last year was a dry run for this. And, you know, the SFX show was fantastic. Danny Hargreaves did something amazing um, in, in Cardiff. And I think the scale of, of what they're going to put on in London clearly is going to be much larger. Um, so, yeah, I, I am looking forward to it. I, I do hope the organisation of it is is a hell of a lot better. Um, and I've got no idea what these huge conventions are like, like Comic Con, uh, that you've covered and, uh, and been to, Stephen. But the British conventions, we do our absolute best to make everybody get in a queue for at least half the day. Um, and it's something <laughs> us Brits are really proud of. Um, and, and again, Cardiff, we were hanging around uh, for a lot of the time. I mean, it didn't matter because people were so friendly and it was great to speak to, to fans. But at the same time, you do think, well, there's got to be a better way of doing this. And you know what? There is, because they do it in America and they've been doing it better in America for a very long time. 
Well, but 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 they haven't because Comic Con basically is if you want to see a panel, you have to stand in line all day. Um, people are already planning their, um, to sleep out Saturday night um, uh, this year uh, for the Sunday for the Sunday afternoon Doctor Who panel. So, oh, wow. I mean, they okay. all night long they camp out. Um, <laughs> all night, really? Yeah, yeah. It's it. Oh. Honestly, they 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 start lining up at about five six o'clock the night before and and stay there all night long until until they get let in the next uh, the next morning. Um, which is wow. which I always I, I I revel a little bit in it because I last year I just kind of walked up about a half hour to an hour before the panel started and got in line and still got into the room. <laughs> But, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, um, it's Comic-Con, it's, they've got three main ballrooms and people line up all day long just to see one panel and there's panels all day. So it's, it it, it is the, it is at least BBC conventions, they are setting times and making sure that people uh, get into those, uh, to those panels where at Comic-Con you have no guarantee that you're actually going to get to see anything. No, I mean, how many people go to Comic-Con? I, I don't know. Uh, uh, um, I, I'm right to like, say it's tens of thousands, though, isn't it? Probably more than that. Yeah. 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 I think we're looking at five thousand a day here at London XL. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I think that should be manageable without making people wait in queues for a very long time. But uh, for sure. But anyway, um, yeah, it is certainly something I'm looking forward to. Anyway, and uh, the regenerations panel for me is going to be exciting. I have a sneaky suspicion that they will be every classic Doctor, obviously so long as they're alive um there and i I think they'll do their absolute best to make certain that does happen um and for me that that really is what celebrating a show is all about it's it's not just the last eight years or or so when doctor who has been incredibly popular it's uh, it's looking at the history and uh it's one of the things that uh, you know there's many criticisms being leveled at the show 7b the 50th anniversary year there's not been that many references back to to classic coup there's been the occasional nod there's been the odd scene here and there and uh, there was a whole pre-credit sequence in them um, in the finale but aside from that there's not a huge amount of acknowledgement that the show has existed or been around for the last 50 years and and i think a celebration like this three days in london hopefully that's where it's going to be celebrated in its uh, in its in its fullness <laughs> Uh, This is Sylvester McCoy, and you're listening to the Doctor Who podcast. Thank you. Now, what is a podcast? Is pod? Is a pod? Pod is a flower. It's a kind of a. uh, Is it for pot radio for for uh, plants? Kind of. Pod. There are vegetables involved, mostly in the broadcasting side. All right. (laughs) No, because I mean Prince Charles is very good. He talks to plants, and they seem to be happy and grow better. Um, And I think it's wonderful that there's a radio station just for plants. Mushrooms. Mushroom. <laughs> okay, now we started off the show by talking about loose ends, and you must have wondered what that was about just a little bit. Well, it's been something I've been wanting to speak about on the show for some time. Stephen Moffat tends to come up with these fantastic questions, and sometimes they're posed in just one or two lines, and sometimes he leads up to you know a huge question like Doctor Who that spread over series. Some of those questions... He, he poses, he answers, and I think Clara is a you know reasonably good example of that. But there are many smaller things that he's never quite answered, and that's what Alex's piece of feedback talks all about. Over to you, Alex. Hello there, guys. This is Alex. First of all, I'd like to say I love the podcast. Your theories get me thinking and are very close to how I think events will play out. However, I do have a few questions about unanswered questions in the Doctor Who universe. First of all, the exploding TARDIS perhaps is linked to Trenzalore, because silence was avoided thanks to Clara. Maybe not. And the voice. Who spoke those words in the TARDIS? The Great Intelligence? After all, he did jump into the Doctor's time stream in his TARDIS grave. It's as plausible as any other theory. Secondly, the silence. How do they know that silence will fall when the question is asked, if Clara averted the disaster? Sure, the silence began with star systems dying because the Great Intelligence stopped the Doctor, but Clara put it back to normal. So how would they know if it technically never happened? And the secret, is it really John Hurt? Or is it possibly the Dream Lord? The way the Doctor looked at his own reflection after Amy's choice made it look like he recognised the face of the Dream Lord, and he wasn't very favourable of it either. 
Will he appear again? Are him and John Hurt's Doctor the same? Maybe they're not. And The Hungry Earth, future Amy and Rory. Will we be seeing them both again in the anniversary? It'll be a nice gift by Moffat for two loved companions to make one last appearance in the anniversary of a very loved show. He's a clever writer, and he's arced this whole story since the fifth series, with hints being thrown in during The Beast Below, The Wedding of Riversong, and for him to leave these plot points unanswered is a big deal. Maybe they are all linked in the anniversary special. Who knows? Looking forward to seeing what you guys think. Of course, the uh, first thing that Alex asks about is something that I know is a uh, issue uh, near and dear to your heart, James, <laughs> yeah. which is the exploding TARDIS. Now, yeah, now interesting this one. Now I know that you <laughs> think that this has been answered, don't you? I do. I do. I think uh, overall, I think that I think that um, a lot of the unanswered questions that people sort of have from Moffat's time. I think Moffat has sort of answered in subtle ways, and maybe what he what he doesn't always do is throw out all the information and mm. and you know just give all the exposition and explain everything. There's there is a, a quite a bit of really uh, thinking, um, for lack of a better word, that you have to do uh, with with his stories. And I think I, I think we as fans tend to overthink things and 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 spend lots of time like not looking for the most simple answer, which is that. It was the silence. It was the silence's voice in there. It it sounds like it to me. And they were trying to blow up the TARDIS. And when the Doctor rebooted the universe, he rebooted that event. And that was it. So it never happened? So, no. So the voice could never be in the TARDIS? I mean, it happened then, but then it didn't happen. I think, well, that's the other thing is, is, the, is the timey-wimeyness. I think that a lot yeah. of things happening in Doctor Who, there's multiple things it's almost as if it's multiple timelines happening at the same time, and this is probably Moffat's excuse for all of this. Is that so? You know, how does how does Clara remember? In some timelines she remembers, and sometimes timelines she doesn't. And you know, and and how does you know how does the silence fall if she actually goes back anyway and stops all that from happening? Yeah, and there's just yeah. the, you know, it's just because it's the cause and effect paradox where things happening at the same time, and that's where I start with the with the whole exploding TARDIS it happened but it doesn't but it didn't happen and it happens but it didn't happen I think that's probably the most coherent explanation we're ever going to get so I mean I'm, I'm, I'm not sure whether it really has been answered um, I, I'm not sure whether or not it's meant to be that subtle and, and, and certainly I, I love the way fans and I love the way that you've just articulated that potential explanation and I think Moffat would probably end up saying yeah if that works for you <laughs> you know, I, I'm not sure whether he really designed it that carefully. I'm not yeah. sure whether he thought, you know, in, in 12 or 13 episodes time, people can go back, watch the final um, episode of season five, suddenly think, oh, yeah, that voice, it's the silence. Because for me, it doesn't sound like the silence. And and again, if, if, if you go online, you can find theories about Omega. You can find theories about... Oh, the TARDIS suddenly having a voice and having a bit of a sore throat. I mean, you can find almost any explanation possible um, um, written down somewhere. I, I'm just not sure. I'm not sure. I don't think Moffat deliberately ignores things. And, and I think that was exemplified within the jacketed doctor thing. You know, mm-hmm. and it, we had a debate here on the DWP. Was it something that was a, a continuity error, or was it something that was planned? And of course, it was planned. And from that moment on, people don't believe Stephen Moffat makes mistakes, which is why there's this immense expectation that all of these loose ends that we're going to cover, and Alex mentions in, in in his piece of feedback, are going to have an explanation. And if they don't, then people are going to be hugely disappointed. And when I say people, I mean fans who care about <laughs> this thing. So about five of us. But, uh, you know, I, I'm just not so sure. He brings up this, this, this interesting thought, which goes along with that, is that, that Moffat has had all of this planned out since Series 5. And I do think that Moffat has had, had, does have a grand plan. And Master plan? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to avoid it, but um, uh, and I think that he's able to um, put in details that really that make us as fans go, "Oh, that's a fantastic detail." The jacket is a perfect example of that. Yeah, but I don't think that he covers all of the details. I just don't think that he gets very bogged down in all of the minutiae that the fans are going to get bogged down in because we all get bogged down in different things as well yeah, so yeah, 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 we all have our sticking points yeah alex says it may well be the voice of the great intelligence and again i think that fits if you want to make it fit then it fits 
Um, I, I, I think when you start getting into explanations that involve alternate realities and universe being rebooted and all of those kind of things, then, uh, you know, no one's going to start saying yes. I, in, in a way, I kind of understand why RTD created this wonderful thing called the Time War that, you, you know, you could be used. I mean, yes, it's a cop out. Of course, it's a cop out, but you can use it to explain away absolutely everything. And now with the John Hurt Doctor coming into the show um, in a couple of months' time, perhaps the Time War is going to come back too and perhaps we'll be able to use it to retcon things like this. It's it's strange to think that we might actually see part of the Time War um, uh, or at least you know get a little bit more closure on that. I never, I never thought that that would happen, but I guess um, of any time for that to happen, the 50th anniversary would be it. Alex mentions... Um, uh, the Dream Lord in his in his yeah. feedback, which yeah, yeah. which I, I think is 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 interesting, but I uh, I would assume that we won't be seeing uh, we've we've already got John Hurt. We won't be seeing Toby Jones hamming it, hamming it up on screen again uh, anytime soon, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I no, thought he, he was, was great, great. but yeah, oh, he he's he's fantastic. He was in a recent set of Big Finish plays called Dark Eyes, and he was absolutely immense uh, within that play um and yeah he's, he's a fantastic actor who i'd like to see return to doctor who but do i think john hurt and toby jones are playing the same character no we have had a couple of th- kooky theory of the week it's about who john hurt is that, that differ from the one um, that seems to be the most popular. And uh, we've had a chap called Todd send in an email who believes that John Hurt could be playing a version of the Doctor pre-Hartnell. So Hartnell would have been the second Doctor, Troughton would have been the third, and so on. And I, I suppose that's a possibility. Hurt playing a, a pre-Hartnell Doctor actually would be... I would find that really interesting because we don't really know why the Doctor left Gallifrey. You know, mm. um, and we know we've seen him leave Gallifrey now. We've seen Clara point him to the the right TARDIS to take, yeah. but we but we um we don't know why we don't know why he was running, why he was leaving, and and maybe maybe it has something to do with that. And that's the uh, you know the the thing he did that wasn't done in the name of the Doctor. Maybe the adventures the Doctor had prior to him leaving Gallifrey are going to be the subject of a brand new spin-off series called Doctor Who: The Early Years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Um, I, I think it's uh, it, it's a theory. Um, personally, I don't think it's right. I don't think it will turn out like that. But we, we've had another suggestion as well put forward by a, a chap called Scott Olson, who believes the John Hurt Doctor is actually the Peter Cushion Doctor. <laughs> and, and the reason why he, he doesn't use the name of the Doctor is because everyone within the films called that Doctor, Doctor Who. That's amazing. You like that, that a, do you? I like that. That's my favourite <laughs> That's my favorite theory. Scott says, for the 50th anniversary, I believe Stephen Moffat is bringing the Peter Cushing Doctor Who movies into the series canon. John Hurt is playing the Peter Cushing Doctor. All the talk about the name of the Doctor is a reference to Peter Cushing being called Doctor Who in those two films, which, as we know, is not the actual name of the Doctor in a canonical series. In the series, and it's- Doctor Who is the original question hiding in plain sight, a question which Clara and the others have been repeating. There you go. It is absolutely amazing. And it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's, it, uh, it sounds like some sort of sketch show parody of Doctor Who, and it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I would love well, to see that. It would be good. Um, I have a feeling this is one um, story or plot uh, development that Stephen Moffat's designed, which doesn't require um, any kind of fan conjecture or certainly won't after the 50th anniversary we will know for definite and uh I'm, I'm still sticking with the theory that i think he is the the real ninth doctor yeah i i would i'm gonna stick with that theory as well um and and i hope that that means that somewhere somehow we we see some uh some paul mcgann regeneration action oh wouldn't it be good wouldn't Ugh. it be good i think as you see i can't see him again doing it unless he got a little bit more than about two minutes on screen yeah you know, it'd have to be a little bit more of a a meteor role, a couple of flashback sequences or something. Who knows? Maybe it will happen. Maybe it will happen. But anyway, let's move on. Uh, the next point that Alex raises, future Amy and Rory. Uh, we saw saw them on a hill in the hungry earth back in season five. And again, so far, no explanation. Yeah, I've, I, this is something I've, I've honestly not... I never even gave much thought to it because it just... 
I, I don't know. It never made sense to me to seeing when, seeing them anyway. Um, <laughs> no. uh, uh, and then to see alone, I was like, oh well, I guess this. I guess the uh, uh, you know that because he got erased and that's what happened. So I never really gave it much thought. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's there's any real explanation for that. Uh, to be honest, there. I haven't really gone back and watched uh, Cold no, Blood and Hungry quite. Earth because mm-hmm. they're the weakest part of that whole series for me. So, mm. um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't think we'll see them in the fi- in the fiftieth, though. No, no, I don't. I mean, I, that would be a surprise. Don't get me wrong. And it would also be probably one of the easiest surprises to pull off because they could have planned this before Darvel and Gideon left the roles. Um, on the show so there's plenty of opportunity to give them a very small scene and and that in theory i suppose would be a nice surprise for everybody um and you're you're a fan of the ponds presumably you'd like to see them turn up in the 50th um i'm a fan of theirs but i don't want to see them turn up in the 50th i think um they're i'm happy with their exit i think that um i think that it was i think that it was fitting and i think that it 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 was done well and i'm not a big fan of keep bringing people back and bringing people back so Okay. Well, yeah, we'll wait and see. I, I, I had the gut feeling that we won't see them either. But, uh, but going back to the hungry earth, certainly, I, I think there's two ways of looking at it. I think the reason they saw future Amy and future Rory was to demonstrate a plot point within that story, and that was to say that you know Rory's being erased from existence. Are we seeing them there now? Now there's only one of them. And I think that was that was probably the extent of the reasoning as to why mm-hmm. we saw those future iterations of the characters. What everyone else is thinking, myself included, is, oh, oh, they've obviously got a future, and we haven't seen the future versions of them go back to wave at their past versions. <laughs> um, so do we need to see it? Do we need to see absolutely everything uh, that Amy and Rory get up to? Uh, surely if one thing Moffat's made very clear is that the companions have a life with a Doctor between episodes and they're not all on screen. Yeah, well, you know, I think if, if Chris Chibnall had his way, there would be some sort of voiceover um, explaining <laughs> the whole thing. But <laughs> um, I, I did wonder, yeah, because Chibnall's always been involved with the ponds um, to a fairly big degree. I mean, he wrote all the pond life as well. He 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 split them up um, yeah. and uh, and reconciled them, um, or Moffat reconciled them very very quickly afterwards. I I don't know. Um, we'll have to wait and see. Um, my, my gut instinct is that we won't be revisiting that soon. Anyway, let's move on to one of my unanswered questions. This is not one that Alex brought up, but uh, I do want to say thank you very much, Alex. Um, it was just wonderful timing. You sent in your email. It just so happened to coincide with um, me wanting to discuss all of these unanswered questions. Um, who was the woman in the shop, though, Stephen? In the, in the Bells of St. John. Uh, we've, once again, we've had Riversong, we've had Rose, and we've, we've had one suggestion from our listener, Andrew Gilbertson, suggesting it's Susan. That's a that's a lovely suggestion. Yeah. I like that. Well, obviously it's not River because she's met River and didn't recognize her. So um, I don't think it was Rose. I mean, sure it could be. I'm sure Moffat could come up with something, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense with her, um, with her with the way her story went and her just sort of passing it off. Unless you know, unless Rose Rose meets Clara in the fiftieth and something happens there, but who knows? But Susan is a nice suggestion. Um, mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I really don't know and I don't and I actually <laughs> I actually think this is going to be a thread that we will never get an answer to. Ha, I I think you're right and I think the reason the line is in there is because Clara needed to be on the phone in order to have the the Bells of St John's gag <laughs> in mm-hmm. that particular episode. The fact that everyone thought, "Oh, who who could that be?" You know, I could just imagine Moffat either to use an RTD expression, hooting with laughter because he knew fandom was just going to go mad uh, when they heard that particular line and probably not stop talking about it for a, <laughs> as long as we've been talking about it. Um, or or whether or not it was just a plot device uh, to set up a joke. So I, I'm not really sure. I, I do think Susan could work. I, I'm not quite sure how they would portray that on screen again. But if if they wanted to bring back the very first companion you know, in the 50th anniversary, then, yeah, I'm sure they could find a credible way of doing it. 
you know, I think I think we probably will explore things. Um, we probably will explore the Doctor's past in the 50th anniversary. But yeah, but I agree. I just don't think I think that this was just a a, a line to set up the joke and uh, yeah, to give us yeah, all yeah. something to chew on and never get an answer to. So nah, chew on possibly. and never swallow. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, we, we shall see. Now, are, are there any other loose ends that uh, need tying up? Do you think? Um, is there anything else that's happened that you think? Well, you know, we've not really had an explanation for, or have we covered most of, most of the things? Do you think? Well, uh, personally, I think Trenzalore is the biggest is the biggest loose end, um, and uh, the the whole you know we saw the Doctor, yeah. we saw the fall of the Eleventh when he falls to Trenzalore. Um, and he's there, and there's this. What is this battle that has taken place, and why is it the Eleventh Doctor's TARDIS? And and it is very. And and the question of, you know, people saying, well, they didn't have the budget to change the interior, yeah. but but yes. that's such a. That's I think that that's that's just lazy because the crack in the window is the same crack on the TARDIS that just landed yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. No, my, my my view on that has always been that whichever version of the Doctor had visited Trenzalore, they'd match up with his version of the TARDIS. I, I completely agree. I actually believe that the my theory, at least my here's my kooky theory of the week, um, <laughs> is that the battle the the battle at Trenzalore is the battle that is taking place the episode that we're watching, and that it's all very all happening at the same time. And and um, and and you're right. Whichever doctor had landed there, that's what they would that's what they would see because that's would be happening at that point. It's well, yeah, it's a retcon that I can live with. Put it that way. Um, clearly, it was budgetary, but that doesn't normally feature within the fiction of the show. No, <laughs> you know. And uh, yeah, I like to think that that that's probably what would happen. And and in fact, that's something I tweeted. Uh, just after the episode had gone out, and it was Edward Russell who responded, <laughs> saying it would have been uh, whichever Doctor's version of the TARDIS yeah. <laughs> uh, had visited. So I suppose that's one way of getting around it. Uh, another question, clearly it was the Doctor's grave, and you saw all of his interwoven timelines almost reminiscing a um, a TARDIS rotor, a time rotor. When a Time Lord dies, do they all turn into these spaghetti timelines that people could just walk into um yes i, I have no idea <laughs> well uh, get a friend graveyard must be an absolute minefield then. yeah yeah you never know whose whose timeline you're going to walk into right um, oh precisely it's crazy and also you can shatter multiple versions of, of yourselves at any point at time you, oh you, you could go back stop yourself from dying presumably I think it's just. I think it was a nice. Is a very nice uh, story element, um, uh, but it's very impractical. <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, in the same way that uh, if everybody's grave just got bigger and bigger and bigger, then my goodness, honestly, there just must be these enormous monuments to deceased <laughs> time lords dotted around the galaxy, or, uh, or at least on Gallifrey anyway, which of course no longer exists. So, right. Anyway, there we go. I think it gets to a point where you probably can analyze these things just a little bit too much. Isn't that why we do this? Absolutely. (laughs) It's so much fun. Anyway, listeners, if you think that we've missed something and you'd like to hear our take on a loose end that you think we've missed, then by all means, get in touch with us. Uh, The best way is to drop us an email, feedback at the Doctor Who podcast.com. If you have the technology at your disposal, then record yourself. It's an audio podcast. We do prefer playing audio feedback rather than just reading uh, your emails. Um, You can always go and interact with other Doctor Who fans over at our forum. You can find it at thedoctorwhopodcast.com and just click on the word forum. And there you can write away to your heart's content. And there are many, many interesting debates going on there about the very things that we've been, been speaking about. Okay, it's time for part three of our Seventh Heaven series. Just in case you haven't heard, parts one and part two of Seventh Heaven is a a friend of ours who organises the big blue box convention, Stephen Elsden, let slip, rather foolishly, that he'd never seen a Sylvester McCoy story, ever. He'd organised conventions, he'd listened to Big Finish CDs, he had never seen a story featuring Sylvester McCoy as a doctor. Can you imagine that, Stephen? I'm sitting here with my mouth agape. I know. In shock. Yeah, well, um, I I started thinking, I had an idea, which is always dangerous, and I thought, what a wonderful experiment. It's so rare these days that you you get to hear the views of someone 
who hasn't seen an episode of Classic Who before. So I gave Stephen all of the Sylvester McCoy era on DVD, <laughs> told him to watch it in about two weeks flat and come back and uh, record his views. And you're about to hear part three. You hear what Stephen thought about Remembrance of the Daleks and the Happiness Patrol. You are merely another Time Lord! Oh, Davros, I am far more than just another Time Lord. Time Lord. This whole area is crawling with armed extraterrestrials, and they are hostile. Same as ever, eh, Brigadier? Welcome to the Candy Kitty. Time Lord, Time Lord, Time Lord. Time Lord. Yes, indeed, and welcome to part three of Seventh Heaven. I'm joined once again in the annex of the campervan by Stephen. Hello, Stephen. Hello, James. Nice to see you again. Yeah, it's great to have you back to continue your quest to watch every single Sylvester McCoy story for the very first time in, well, what are we now, 30 years after they first aired on BBC One. Indeed, yes. And uh, it was nice to know that from the last ones that there's actually now two members of the Bonnie Langford fan club. So I feel I've achieved something there. <laughs> We've been getting some wonderful feedback from you listeners from the first two parts of Seventh Heaven, where uh, Stephen was coming up with some, well, they weren't deliberately controversial views, were they? You just said you like Bonnie Langford. Yes, and uh, yeah, I think I found more more to more to like in those uh, adventures than I thought I would. And, Wonderful. Uh, yeah. Moving on to season twenty-five, we open with Remembrance of the Daleks. Right. Well, I mean, this was absolutely astonishing. Um, I can't believe that I missed watching this when it first went out. <laughs> this was this was the point in this exercise that I thought I really have missed a trick in not, you know, not watching this uh, this this era live uh, when it was first broadcast. Just the opening with that that ship in 1963. I thought this is what Doctor Who was lacking in the in the in the in the early 80s. It was missing the the, the science fiction wow that you were getting at the cinema. But in the opening of Remembrance, I thought you had that on on screen in spades. And you've got the dark. I mean, it's just astonishing. Um, one of the things that really struck me about this was, was the little nods in this adventure to the past of the show. And it was very interesting actually watching this a few months ago as I was starting to watch the, the, the current series of Doctor Who, which of course, mm, again, mm. is now the, the 50th anniversary season, to see little parallels in the way that they're sort of making the nods to the past and actually trying to engage a bit more mystery around the Doctor. And I thought that was very interesting. People have often said that the McCoy era paved the way, really, for a lot of what we've seen in 2005 when it came back. And did you start to notice that within this story in particular? Um, yes, and I think the, certainly the, the dynamic between the Doctor and Ace, you can certainly see parallels between uh, Christopher Eccleston and, uh, and Billy Piper's uh, characters when, uh, uh, you know, in the, in the Ninth Doctor era. So, yeah, I mean, and I think it was, it, it's become now, with Remembrance of the Daleks, a show that's not, a, not ashamed of its past that revels in its past. And I think that's certainly something that Russell T Davis did as well when he brought the show back. He was quite fond of his nods to the past and knew there'd be lots of people around watching the show who would enjoy that. And Stephen mm. Moffat's continued that uh, that trend. So how big an impact do you think Sophie Aldred had on your viewing experience here? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm not sure what you mean there, Well, James, I mean, <laughs> I, I, you've just come off of four stories after seeing Bonnie Langford and Mel, and she's a very different character to, to Ace. And I think... You could argue that the performance Sophie Aldred gives in Remembrance is very different to that which she gives in Dragonfire. Yes, indeed, yes. I, I presume that she was given some indication of, of the character development, and obviously we'll go on to talk about the later, the, the later shows in this season and indeed the final season, but I think Ace is probably, in my opinion, the best developed of any Doctor Who companion that I have certainly watched, mm. and I've not seen mm. some of the very, very early shows, so I've missed out on... You know Polly and Ben and those sorts of companions, but um, you know if you compare her with, uh, with with Clara again, you know yes Clara's had a bit of mystery, but it's a one note mystery, and once that's been solved, which it has been now, she's a bit of a run of the mill companion. Whereas I think Ace has got lots of dynamism. You know all the all the idea about how much is uh, I don't know we're going to run into the <laughs> later episodes here, but you know how much Fenric is actually involved at the very early stages mm, of, mm. of Ace, and 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 when you think back, having watched to the end of uh, end of the McCoy era, and then think back to 
to adventures like Remembrance of the Daleks, you've got all of that playing into your your thoughts and experiences as well. And I think that, uh, for, as I say, for her, for, for 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 me, that makes Ace a very very rich companion. Okay, so when you were watching this at the time, because you've been watching these stories in order, yes. you weren't aware of how Ace's story concluded or where it was going. Not at all. No. no. Did you did you detect that there were seeds being sown? that would be resolved later or did you just think well this is quite a rounded and novel new companion it was clear you know clearly perhaps not so much in in remembrance i think probably in the in the in the later ones of, of season 26 that there were there was as much mystery around ace's character or as much much little um nuggets that were being fed to the to the viewer as there were around the doctor's character um and you weren't you know there was a sense that their mysteries were were to a degree interlinked or there were going to be revelations about the, the you know one that would impact on the other mm. um that's that's not as overt in remembrance of darks i think that comes in you know rather later into the into the season and and do you think it was probably quite a good way to introduce or reintroduce the show to the audience by having a newish companion by reintroducing uh, an icon in the Daleks back yep. into the story. Yep. Lots of nods to the past. Well, going right back to the very first, uh, mm. the very first episode. I mean, you can't get more 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 nods to the past than that. And obviously, yeah. we've seen that done a few times this year. And I've probably not seen the last of uh, returns to uh, to Trotter's Lane. I don't think uh, this year. But uh, mm. no, I think there there, there 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 was a lot. I mean, the, the, you know, Omega being uh, being alluded to, and uh, and obviously Davros appearing as well. You know, lots of uh, lot, lot, lots of great elements there. I mean, there's a, even a, even a not equator mass in this uh, this adventure so the wider universe of the doctor is being uh, mm. is being uh, plundered and of course you know quite a mass has been uh, alluded to in, in more recent episodes as well well and indeed it has and uh, it, it's not just other uh, TV shows it was referring to, but it's also a social commentary in, in certain scenes. So where Ace discovers the no-coloured sign. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, um, and indeed, uh, I mean that, that that whole East End life. I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, I did, did in fact one of the one of the scenes. I did wonder if it was actually filmed in the East Enders Cafe because it did seem rather <laughs> <laughs> rather similar. Probably probably not. But uh, I think there were no, dimensions I, in time. Yes. <laughs> but no, I think there was a real sense of of, of period. Mm. Um, with, with with this with this adventure, and I think that was very very well done. Um, and they and they didn't stint on the uh, on the production in this this no, adventure. Indeed. I think in the in the previous season that we've talked about, uh, I felt that for very strong stories that were let down by the by the budget and by uh, production cuts. But I think they, they they threw everything at this story, and it's a strong story, and it it does well with it. Mm. Well, I I think certainly the supporting cast helped there as well. You've got Simon Williams, and you've got some other very very strong performances there from you know. And they go on to create very memorable characters. Indeed, I mean Mike, Michael Sheard, which for uh, you know, fans Michael of Grange Hill, I mean, <laughs> yes. and in the Indiana Jones films, you know, he's a he's an absolute icon. But uh, um, even the, uh, the the little the little girl in there, uh, Jasmine Breeks, I think her name is, um, you know, she's got a very very compelling conf- uh, performance there. I think up there with uh, with Damien Thorne in the uh, in the Omen films, you know, very very, very creepy little girl. And, and many of these characters have gone on and found new life now, once again in, in, in Big Finish's range, in Countermeasures. So, you know, you can go and find out what happened after their first meeting with the Doctor as well. So. Yes, indeed. And in fact, there, there are some audios that I really need to, uh, to, to download and listen to to, to, to get that uh, you know, continuing mm. story. OK, so, so after you finish the last season with, uh, with Dragonfire... You open with an absolute spectacle that is Remembrance of the Daleks. Mm-hmm. You're really fired up now. Your responses, you know, all of your Doctor Who antennae are twitching in the right way. The Happiness Patrol is next. Perhaps we should make a little visit sometime. What's in the air? During the Upper Cretaceous. A very good time for dinosaurs. I love dinosaurs. But I hate that. Lift music. Where are we, Professor, anyway? A planet, an Earth colony. Settled some centuries in your future. Do you like it? No. Nope. No, neither do I. Why not? Too phony. Too happy. Yes, I've been hearing disturbing rumours about Terra Alpha. So I decided to look in sometime. So tonight's the night? Tonight's the night. Rumours of something evil. And we're going to get to the bottom of it. Yes, and um, well, and uh, for me, Happiness Patrol revolves around Candyman, and Candyman, and again, I might have mentioned this last time we uh, we sat down, was one of the the things that put me off this era of, of of Who. As I say, I wasn't watching it live at the time, but certainly seeing pictures in the press of the Candyman character made out of the Bassett uh, 
um, licorice all sorts. You know, it's, it's just a pantomime show. You know, it's it's, it's a kids show. It's not something that, that I at that age wanted to wanted to watch. Um, and I have to say, watching the whole of the Happiness Patrol hasn't changed my mind about this. I think this was by far the weakest of this uh, of this season. In fact, my problem with uh, with Candyman wasn't so much uh, the look of him, but it was rather how easily he was disabled by the Doctor. I mean, for the uh, <laughs> well, you might argue that he's not the main villain of the piece, but he's certainly uh, you know the, the the money was spent on him. Uh, you know, be it being the, uh, the the figurehead bad guy in this uh, in this story but all he needs is a bit of lemonade splashed around his feet and he's stuck to the floor for the next 20 minutes I mean, perfect it's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> no i think he was the henchman really and helen a and you know sheila yeah. hancock's character is uh, is supposed to be the chief villain um, i mean a lot is said about this story about how it commentated on the, the political situation in the uk at the time and yeah, other people say well actually that's all kind of retconned you know it wasn't deliberate it was uh, you know, it actually flattered the story in hindsight. How, how do you feel about that? I, I think you can see. I think you can see elements of that. I think there's an interesting. I mean, you talked about the uh, you know the no coloured sequence in the, in Remembrance of the Daleks. I think there's a there's there's a lovely multicultural tone to the Happiness Patrol in terms of the underclass and the and the and the ruling class that I think you know was prevalent in the in the eighties. I mean, we have things like the Brixton riots in the eighties. You know, there was a lot of tension around. Uh, Around integration within the within the UK, and I think that 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 is that is very cleverly touched on in the Happiness Patrol. I, for me, the Happiness Patrol actually felt more like a Doctor Who stage play. It wasn't. <laughs> it didn't feel like dynamic television to me. Yeah. I could see I could see it working very well in a small theatre, um, off the off the West End. Mm. Um, you know, there were lots of lovely lovely written scenes, but they were scenes of dialogue exchanges. Um, I can't remember all the characters' names now, but. Uh, um, the uh, there's the you know, the, the, the the poet um, and uh, you know the various characters that the Doctor encounters as he explores the uh, um, the, the world that, that that felt like theatrical characters rather than um, TV characters to me. Do you think it had a similar feel to Paradise Towers? Yes, I mean that was the other. I mean, my big big groan when I put the first episode on was, oh, we're back in the studio again. <laughs> I mean, you've got the lovely expanse. I mean, you know, lovely expansive locations of uh, remembrance, and indeed, you know, once you get beyond Happiness Patrol, you're out in the out in the uh, in the wilderness or in the car parks again. Mm. But uh, yes, I felt this was a bit. Uh, it, it did feel like you know Paradise Towers Part Two. Yeah, uh, um, yes. certainly in terms of the staging of it. It's an episode yeah. shorter. Well, yeah. I'm trying to be positive here. <laughs> uh, but yeah, certainly I think the Studio Bounds story, or this particular Studio Bound story, uh, they attempted to make up for it by having an absolutely stellar cast. Because mm. if you start looking at who is in this, you know, you've got John Normington, uh, who you know we saw in Caves of Androzani, so yes. memorable in Caves of Androzani. You, you've got um, Harold Innocent uh, playing, I can't remember his name, but he's Sheila Hancock's quite devious yes. uh, husband. All of the components are there, but it just doesn't seem to gel. It doesn't work. You really have to force it as a fan to make this even remotely palatable, from my view. Yes, no, I, yeah. I, I, yes, I, I didn't really take very much uh, much away from this. I mean, I think I think Sylvester McCoy did give a very strong performance in this in this uh, in, in this show, particularly I think because he did have some very, as I say, strong dialogue interchanges with other characters. But um, and I thought there were there were some nice little. Um, Douglas Adams nods that I was picking up but again I might be retconning those in you know I thought that uh, the role of the doctor in this one was a bit more almost gently-ish or or one might say Sherlock Holmesy you know the sort of consulting detective and uh, um, you know there were characters that put me in mind of full prefect and shooting and bang bang you know there's a there were the bits of comedy in 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 there in there which lightened the tone Mm. a little bit Mm. but it was a fairly dark and unremitting um, tone to this no I, I think the abiding memory is the Candyman, which you could say was a publicity stunt that kind of slightly didn't really work it well it kind of worked but for the wrong reasons yes i don't know if bassett's actually paid any money to get so <laughs> no i think the bbc had a job not to pay bassett's any money <laughs> as, as a resulting action anyway Stephen, it's been fantastic to talk to you once again about these two stories um we'll be back very very shortly you'll be speaking to ian about the last two stories in this season which is Silver Nemesis and Greatest Show in the Galaxy. And I, for one, will be very interested in hearing what you've got to say about those. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Well, wonderful, Stephen. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Listeners, I really hope you're enjoying this. Um, I have to admit, when I sat down and 
started talking about these episodes with someone who had only seen these stories once. You know, it's I, I just wanted to sit and listen because Stephen's got such a refreshing view. I mean, one, <laughs> can you believe it? He really likes Bonnie Langford and Mel. But there has to be at least one. There has to be. Um, but but also to get, you know, the, the, the fresh perspective um, is, is incredibly refreshing and uh, a novel. And Stephen is back next week. As I said, I've got so many Stephens on the show this week. But uh, Stephen is back <laughs> next week talking about Silver Nemesis and The Greatest Show in the Galaxy with Ian. James, thanks again for having me on. Uh, this was a lot of fun, uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, your next episode. I hear it's going to be uh, four guys back in the camper van talking about some mysterious subject. <laughs> yeah, it's been some time since Lisa and Tom, Trev, and I have uh, all got in the camper van at the same time. We've all got very, very busy lives at the moment, so it's proved rather, rather difficult. But, uh, but yes, it's something I'm looking forward to. We've not recorded it yet, and it's only mysterious because Trevor hasn't decided what we're talking about yet. That's always a tiny bit scary but i look forward to listening to that for sure and mm. uh hopefully uh we've been able to tie up some of these loose ends that we were talking about earlier probably yeah. not but you know it's okay <laughs> <laughs> well it's always fun talking about the more contentious elements of the show and uh you know what what's a fan to do but just pull apart at these strings it's it's absolutely fantastic fun to do and i hope listeners it's been fun to listen to as well Stephen, just tell the listeners when they can hear more of you and ewan over at a madman with a box podcast yes uh it's exactly it. a madman with a box podcast you gotta have the a in front of it um you can find us on iTunes, or you can find us at uh, a madmanwithabox.com, um, and Twitter, madmanboxpod uh, as well. Wonderful. Thanks very much, Stephen, for joining us once again. Thanks, listeners, for tuning in, and we'll speak to you again in seven days' time. Bye for now. Thank you. Thanks, listeners, and bye. That was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care.